On this week's episode, we are traveling to Kuat in the Core Worlds, not Balmora, like I said last week, where we will discuss the importance of the shipbuilding industry amidst constant intergalactic warfare, and how I could try to make a Lord of the Rings reference out of anything. Keyword being try. Anyways, on with the show. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Lady Kira's Galactic Adventure, where we traverse the universe in our Corellian Corvette cruiser, The Vindicator. I am, of course, your host on this excursion, Admiral Kira Vandari of the Alliance to Restore the Republic. This time, we are continuing our exploration of the interior as we travel to the planet Kuat. If you have no questions, comments, or concerns, then make sure to remember that the length of Ahsoka's mantras is not equal to the importance or validity of her on-screen adaptation, that the Bad Batch looking physically whiter than the rest of the clone army is problematic, and people of color playing characters in the Star Wars universe, like Ahmed Best, for example, deserve respect and more appreciation this Black History Month, this week on Lady Kira's Galactic Adventure. If you are an avid listener and or watcher of this show, you know that we first start with the unclear Disney canon and then move on from there, so let's get into it. In canon, the planet Kuat is located in the Kuat system, to which we have no conclusive canon information on, at M10 in the galactic grid. We will have system time later though, so hold on to your butts until then. It was a terrestrial planet most well known for its vital shipbuilding industry run by Kuat Drive Yards, or the KDY as I will be referring to them for the rest of this episode. Episode, which is a starship manufacturer which would produce some of the Empire's most dangerous ships, including some Imperial class Star Destroyers, Walkers, Juggernauts, Command Cruisers, and a series of other dreadnoughts. This company may be most well known for the ships it designed for the Empire, but it also designed ships for the Republic as well. Like some other industrial worlds we've covered, like Vulpter in the Deep Core, a giant man-made ring actually lies about the equator of the planet where the ships themselves are made. Citizens of the planet describe this ring as, quote, a scaffold in space, bridged and augmented with enormous habitats and machinery. Inside the scaffolding existed the skeletons of ships and other craft, end quote. Due to the economic importance of this planet, it was heavily equipped to defend itself with a ground garrison and a space-based fleet that is known to be virtually impenetrable. To that I say, King Theoden of Rohan once believed Helm's Deep to be impenetrable, and he turned out to be very, very wrong. When an army of over a million modified orcs comes to your door with a grand, then we'll see how strong your defenses truly are. In a weird way, actually, I think the Death Star is kind of like the Empire's version of Grand. Anyway, Tolkienisms aside, it's time for everyone's favorite segment and my personal favorite part of the show, it's history time. We don't have an early history of this planet and our conan Canon, canon knowledge of it goes only uh, as far back as the Clone Wars period, which isn't very far at all. But then, transgressions aside, uh, many Republic ships, even peacekeeping or diplomatic vessels, were made here and got pumped up on their Jawa juice during this tiny little conflict you may have heard of called, I don't know, the Clone Wars or something. 
During that time, KDY started producing warships such as the very well-known Venerator-class Star Cruiser. Moving on from the Clone Wars period into the birth of the Empire, Kuat became the one-stop shop for Imperial warships, for not only were they built here, but they were also repaired and resupplied here, like some kind of Imperial-only general store car wash thing. Due to the planetary ring housing multitudes of ships, the Empire favored it, in fact making Kuat a major part of their military strategies. After the destruction of Gron 2.0, which you might know as the Death Star, uh, the Rebellion began a bombing campaign hoping to take out major shipbuilding factories across imperially controlled space, but I guess they weren't as bold or as powerful as Saruman, and so because they made little to no impact on Kuat's industry. Maybe I will give them the Isengard stamp of approval, but even Isengard didn't get the Isengard stamp of approval, so I guess it's honorary. It's an honorary title. Let's just move on. Okay. Uh, after the Battle of Hoth, Quat became a major part of the Rebellion's Operation Ringbreaker, an attempt to mobilize against major shipyards and blow them to smithereens. This war, uh, this war, this was ultimately a failure though, further cementing its impenetrable status. And that's pretty much everything I have in canon, so it's time to pop on those Legends lenses so we can mosey on over to the other side and learn a bit more about this place. Too much? Probably. Before we cover the planet itself, it is time for everyone's second most favorite segment. It's system time, baby! It's system time! The Kuat system is a six-planet star system, all in orbit around one sun, Kuat. Yes, I know that's confusing. In the first orbital position, though, we have the planet Bristel, a searing rock with no moons slash Daryls. I just hit my coffee cup, sorry about that. In the second position, we have Gorvas, a volcanic rock with one Daryl, and no, I'm still not elaborating on the bit. Next, we have Dever Kuat, a temperate terrestrial world with two moons slash Daryls. Also confusing, Kuat is also in the name. In the fourth orbital position, we have Kuat, which we will cover when we've covered everything out of school, is it? So in the fifth orbital position, we have Gordis, a barren rock with three Daryls. Finally, in the sixth orbital position, we have Rasapan, a gas giant with a whopping 22 moons. Not enough to break our record, but still pretty impressive. With the rest of the system over and done with, let's head back to the 4th orbital position and finish off the main attraction, Huat. Actually, for the first time in a long time, it's moon time. No cool intro though, sorry, uh, but Kuat just have two of them. First we have Badur, which for some reason is the headquarters of two mob bosses? America Explained. Uh, it's a weird B-plot, but I'll allow it, I guess. A Mandalorian also killed one of those mob bosses, furthering the B-plot, which I also will allow. On to the second moon, uh, we have Rone, to which all I know about it is that it uh, had uh, facilities on it for, quote, testing drives? I'm unsure if those drives are hyperdrives or something spice-related or something else. Anyways, mood time's over. Let's move on. Kuat has a rotation period of 20 standard hours and an orbital period of 322 local days. The standard hours, of course, referring to the Coruscant cycle, which is the standard for timekeeping in the galaxy. 
As I already mentioned, Kuat is a terrestrial planet, but it also has a type 1 breathable atmosphere, temperate climate, and standard gravity that's pretty standard for this show. The surface of the planet had three continents and a multitude of islands covered in forests and plains. There's virtually no hostile life on the planet, instead being populated by herbivores such as the Draven, which look like furry Charizards uh, without wings, pretty much, and, and provided compost for gardening. We love a sustainable queen. Kuat also had an aristocratic government structure, ew, and besides its ships, it was known to export luxury goods, art, alcohol, and art again, apparently. I wrote that twice. Now it's time for our favorite segment. Once again, it's history time, everyone. Whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, before history time, uh, let's talk about the Kuati people. You know, the citizens. They're a major part of their story since, you know, they live here. The galaxy <laughs> views the Kuati people as proud and class conscious, and it's mostly composed of humans. About 80% of them were human, which is pretty standard for planets such as these. The total population of the planet consisted of 3.6 billion sentients. If one was to visit this planet, you'd most likely be staying among the hundreds of millions of workers in the ring than traveling to the surface. If you didn't make it there, the permits needed to leave Kuwati City, the capital, were incredibly expensive. In fact, the police of this world were, more likely than not, more inclined to deny anyone access to the surface, even if you had the money, except, of course, if you're a citizen. Okay, now it's time for everyone's favorite time of the week, our favorite segment, Dudes and Dudettes, it's history time. I'm warning you, this first sentence is run on, so if I run out of breath, I'm sorry for the heaving. Kuat was first settled in 27,500 BBY by settlers and sleeper ships, and before even the beginnings of the Republic, Kuat had established an aristocracy based on their shipbuilding industry and became a major political power by 25,053 in the founding of the Galactic Republic, to which it was a founding member. <sighs> Anyways, actually, ten merchant families came to run the planet itself and literally called themselves the Ten. I am... I'm not going to say anything. You all listening already know how I feel about uninspired Star Wars naming conventions. But the Ten's main goal was to form the largest and most influential shipbuilding company in the galaxy. Rather ambitious if I do say so myself. They ended up hiring terraformers, ecologists, animal breeders from across the galaxy who transformed Kuat from a once barren planet into the lush world that we know it today. During the Alsacon conflict, which I'm not getting into now, so go check out the Alsacon episode where me and Arasi now go into the nitty-gritty of the thousands of years of warfare between Alsacon and Coruscant and the reasons behind it. But Kuat was located in Republic space, the Republic side of the, sl of the slice, you know? If you listen to that episode, everything will make sense, I promise. And if it doesn't, ask me questions. We have a Patreon, we have Instagram, we have TikTok and stuff. Yeah, uh, anyways, uh, I'm not sure how much the planet itself aided in the war, but they most likely built light cruisers for the Republic during the conflicts, maybe even for Alsacon too, but being a founding member planet of the Republic, making ships for the enemy might look bad for your image. But during the Sith Wars, Kuat was most definitely making ships for the Republic, as the Sith were very much not once members of the Republic itself. On 
of the Clone Wars period. Kuat remains loyal to the Republic during the Clone Wars, producing multiple types of star cruisers for their government. We've already talked about Venerator Stat class star cruisers. That's just the classic Jedi cruiser. We all know it. We all love it. You know, the works. Due to its immense economic importance, Kuat heavily benefited from the war, with many members of the KDY winning favor with Chancellor Palpatine, which may be why they became such an important part of the Empire's production and military. On to the Empire. When the Empire was formed in 19 BBY, Kuat was one of the first worlds secured under it because Emperor Palpatine's plans of destruction required ships. Lots. And lots of ships. Which will later be secretly made on Exegol. I don't question it anymore, okay? The Imperial Bureau of Ships and Services restricted access to Kuwat's orbital shipyard to basically just the Empire and its friends, but the Empire doesn't have friends, so just the Empire. These restrictions also caused those shipyards to be placed under military jurisdiction, but they were technically still civilian-owned? Free will, more like, not that. Moving on, like most mega corporations, during the time of the Empire, the merchant houses on Kuat became annoyingly wealthy, and it makes sense. Their engineers are building the lifeblood of the Empire itself. They built a copy of the Super Star Destroyer Executor, aka Crispy Chicken Nugget Man's personal Star Destroyer. They also build AT-ATs and many other kinds of walkers, which are pretty much standard for an Imperial go-bag. Oh yeah, toothpaste, nutrient blocks, freshly pressed uniform, and my expandable AT-AT walker. Oh my god, imagine if Hank Pym existed in the Star Wars universe. Our problems would increase exponentially. I tried to make a joke. Make a better one in the comments or in a review, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm too mentally ill for this. Anyways, back to the milita militarization of Kuat, though. Imperial security restricted the planet to the point where you could literally only get in three ways. Via a passenger port, a key, a shuttle, a freight port, or an Imperial transfer post. The latter of which is just for Imperials and their friends, but Imperials don't have friends, so just Imperials. I'm really hoping that joke's gonna stick, but it's probably not. Anyways, hopping forward to 4ABY and the Battle of Endor. At the same time as this battle, probably to distract the Empire as much as possible, the Alliance also staged an attack to occupy the Kuat shipyard so they couldn't supply more Star Destroyers to Endor. It was unsuccessful though, but I think that was kind of the point. After the BOE, which is now what we're calling it because I'm not gonna keep saying Battle of Endor a million times. We're just going to abbreviate, okay? I'm Gen Z. We abbreviate. It's okay. Uh, but after the Battle of Endor, the Empire, or what was left of it, I just... <laughs> ignore that. Uh, pumped up its security like that creepy incel guy in She-Hulk did the totally not super soldier serum. I'm proud of that one. Actually, they, they are really only securing the shipyards because the millions of people living there don't matter. Not to the Empire, at least. Rebels on Kuat had rigged all the shipyards to explode and beat the Alliance to it, surprisingly. General Han Solo helped clean up the Imperials in the sector after everything went boom, as he does. That the rebels that actually set the explosion were not linked to the Alliance at all, and in fact kicked out Alliance rebels off the planet to try and take down the imps inside the KDY. All they wanted was this super epic Star Destroyer called the Eclipse. But they ditched it in the end because it was too flashy and would have given them away instantly if they were to do any chaos stuff with it. Loyal Imperials would remain on Kuat. Uh, leading into 7ABY, the Battle of Kuat, 
between said loyalists and the New Republic. Remember, Kuat's planetary defenses were better than Isengard, which is irrelevant because Isengard was destroyed by walking and talking trees. Shout out to the Ents. But you know what I mean. Although the New Republic had managed to push Kuat's forces back and stop its big boys from leaving the shipyards, Kuat would remain as an Imperial Fortress world until 8 BBY, literally a year later. Why did I write that? <laughs> when the Imperial defenses left for the new territories and made Kuat rely on itself. And only itself, because Kuat, being Imperial, and did not have friends like the Empire. It's not catching on. I'm gonna stop. Okay. But since they were defenseless, comparatively of course, because they still had ships to defend themselves, the New Republic was able to capture the planet due to a scheme between a member of the KDY, Rahl Rai Mavunik, another person I don't know, and my favorite, Wedge and Tilly's. That conniving little minx, but he does deserve a hug for this one though. Mavunik and had most of the shares in the KDY and was able to convince them, the board itself, to surrender to the New Republic. Of course, they were citizens who were very unhappy with this, mainly the senior designers of the ships, so they ended up fleeing to the Deep Core, probably to Biss to build, you know, Emperor Palpatine's super secret clone world thing. Go listen to the Biss episode, it was the first one, it's really bad. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, by the time the New Republic officially re acquired this place, they had cumulatively controlled three-fourths of the settled galaxy, very impressive, and most importantly, were granted access to the Kuwati shipyards. To uphold these relations, they actually established two embassies in Kuwati space, one on the planet itself and one in the orbital ring around it. The access to Kuat and its engineers would prove vital in the coming years, Thrawn campaign, to which I've only started reading the first book in the original trilogy, and when I read all three I will do an official Thrawn video because he's my favorite bad guy in the history of everything, and the later Yuuzhan Vong War. For more information on the Yuuzhan Vong War, and the Yuuzhan Vong themselves, uh, go check out my episode entitled The Yuuzhan Gone. I couldn't come up with a good enough pun for it, but they are a legitimately fascinating species. They held out, uh, Kuat held out for a long time during the war though. Supplying ships and hosting war rooms for the New Republic, but it would eventually fall to the Yuuzhan Vong for a while, and Kuwati refugees wouldn't return to their homeworld until the war was over. There was also some stuff that happened in the Second Galactic Civil War, but that's still gonna need its own episode because Tiz dense. We should bring back Tiz into our normal lingo. It makes you feel more important than you are, you know. A nice confidence boost every time you say it. And on that note, we're done here. And that is everything I have for you on Kuat in Canon and Legends. I hope you enjoyed your journey this week and your stay so far aboard the Vindicator. If you have any questions or concerns about your stay, feel free to bring it up with one of our personnel on board via a private message or a DM. Perhaps on our TikTok accounts at Shadow Collective Rules or at Unidentified Robot or maybe our Instagram at Lady Kira. Or perhaps at the review of our show on Apple Podcasts. Or perhaps, if you want more of me, I don't know why you would, but you can head on over to patreon.com slash Productions, and for only five bucks a month, you can have access to tons of additional content, including my scripts and my bibliographies, which I'm continually uploading, and uh, our exclusive Discord community. That's pretty cool. All of those usernames and their respective platforms will be listed in the show notes. Next time, we'll be journeying to Commonore of Commonore Run Infamy. In minute record worlds, I can cover in preferably 30 minutes or less. 
Until next time, my friends, companions, and droids, may the Force be with you all. And for any of you wondering if this is me, this is me. I just dropped the accent. I'm sick. I'm not even gonna try. I'm too depresso for this espresso. Anyways. <laughs>